okay, Bill, what do you got in there? You know what? I don't want to say. It's between me and God. Some of that stuff's kind of embarrassing. Okay. Okay, well, you don't have to tell me specifics, but, but if we're going to get through this, I'm going to need to just ask you, can you give me a general idea of what's in the pack? I guess it's stuff that I probably need to give to God. You know, I've tried in the past. I give it to him, and I just keep getting it back. And some of it I don't want to give to him. But I guess I probably should. But anyway, you know, I've had it on for so long, it's just easier to ignore it now. Well, I don't want to make too much of a leap here with what you just said, but it sounds to me like you don't need to quit the race, Bill. You just need to leave this pack behind. I don't know if I can. I mean, that stuff is, it's me. It's stuff I love. and huh, It's also stuff that I'm really embarrassed of. But I don't think that I could just leave it. I think I should take it with me and go. Can I ask you another question? Sure. Why, why did you begin running your race for God in the first place? Because when I believed in God, I knew he had a better plan for my life than probably I had for myself. Well, do you still believe that? Yeah. If you still believe that God's plan for your life is better than your plan, you cannot afford to keep that pack with you. You've got to leave it here. Would you? Oh, no, I don't want it. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I mean, leave it at the foot of the cross and give it to God. You know, 1 John 1, 9 says that if, assuming there's maybe a little sin in there, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What do you say we leave that at the foot of the cross and you try to continue your race? I don't know. It would be awful hard. Come on, I think we can do it. I think you need to do it. You're the one who said that well, okay. this race for God's Here. better than what? what? Here, I don't, I don't think God is looking right now. Let me just pull one thing out of this one little. No, no, hold on right a minute. No, Wait just, a minute. This stop, one right here. stop it. It's, stop it. It's, it's, it stop. No, it stop. I, no, I just leave want it that all one here. Thing. Leave it all here because you know what, Bill? That thing that you're trying to pull out of there, whatever it is, it's only going to grow and it's going to grow and it's going to grow. And that pack is going to be just as heavy as the day you left it. Let's leave it at the cross. All right. I'll help you carry it. You help me? Yeah. Reach it. Oh! It's a lot of years of stuff. Yeah, yeah, I would, I would imagine. All right. I'm going to leave it. Leave it here. Don't open it. I won't open I it. Want I don't want to see what's in there. All right, Before I'm you go, I mean, how do you feel? I feel like I could run the race. Well, good. Yeah. Bill. What? Why are you still hunched over? Well, the pack is gone. Stand up straight. Huh. It's kind of yeah. nice. Yeah, kind of nice. Huh. I think I can kinda go nice. a little bit further. Yeah, I think you can too. Wow. Oh, and Bill? Bill, Bill, wait. wait. Yeah. If this sort of thing comes up again... Could we maybe handle it during office hours? Uh, I guess, but it wouldn't be nearly as much fun. Thanks, Bill.
See, that's the problem that we're facing as Christians. We, we get so down, and we start to see things as, as if there's no light at the end of the tunnel, and perhaps we really can't do the things that God's called us to, or can't do the things that we believe that God wants from us because life is just weighing us down. But sometimes the pack that we carry on our back is a pack of our own making. It's the sin in our life. And the writer of Hebrews wants to remind us of that. In in verse 1, he says, We're surrounded by such a great cloud of people who have stepped out in faith and who have persevered for God. So let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings to us so closely. You see, when we engage in this life for God and we begin to give our lives to Jesus and allow him to remake and reform us, we are beginning a battle against sin. Yes, as AJ prayed earlier in our service today, we're declared righteous. We're in, we're saved, we're, we're, the, we're the saints, we are the holy ones of God, but that doesn't mean that, that that's in an eternal sphere. In a personal sphere, that doesn't mean that all the sin and the stuff that holds us down just goes away immediately. At least it didn't for me. Don't know if all your sin went away the minute that you said yes to Jesus, but I doubt that it did. We engage in this battle against sin regularly so we can do the things that God's called us to do. The truth is, you and I are designed to exert ourselves for God. That's why we were created. We were created to actually exert ourselves for God. And you say, well, well, well I'm exerting myself in a lot of other places in life. I'm, I'm, I'm running out of breath in a lot of places in life. Well, I just want to tell you, just, just as a reminder, something you already know and something you're tuning me out about right now. But you were designed to exert yourself for God. It's the reason you're on this earth. And you were not designed, though, to exert yourself for God while holding on to a pack of sinfulness and selfishness that is weighing you down. In fact, while we exert ourselves for God, as we run the race, we should be tossing things out of our pack, getting things off our back regularly so that we can run the race for God the way he has designed us to run it. Now, maybe you're newer to church today. You come in here and you go, oh, gosh, I haven't been in church in years. I come to church for the first time, and the pastor's just talking about sin. There's a stereotype, right? But, you know, sin isn't just drinking too much and sexual activity outside of the bounds of marriage. Sin's just not those things. Sin really extends to who we are as people. Sin is a selfish heart. Sin is a prideful attitude. Sin is greed. Sin is a slandering tongue. Sin is dissipation. We talked about that a number of weeks ago. The idea that we are just engaging in entertainment and pleasure and food and drink, and we're just doing that to such an extent that we are just numbing ourselves from the real things of life. You know, there's a lot of things that are sin, but most people just think that Christians are against having any fun. That's not what we're against. We're against living our lives in a way in which we're carrying a heavy pack while we should be exerting ourselves for God in the way that God has designed us to do it. You know what I often did with the young adults over the years when I was a young adult pastor is I would insert jerk for sin. Because when I was growing up, if a girl was looking at a guy who she felt was a complete, selfish, uh, arrogant, mean-spirited guy... And she didn't have any other words to describe him. She just settled on jerk. That guy is a jerk. And so you say, that is the the most unhelpful thing you've ever said, Pastor Matt. But no, listen, follow my train of thought just here for a minute. Because 
when we hear the word sin, we automatically are programmed to begin to have an idea about what that means. Now, I want you to think word jerk for a minute. Selfish, arrogant, mean-spirited, and I'd like you to go back into this passage with me, and we're going to insert jerk for a moment. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the full jerkiness that clings so closely. I want you to now skip down to verse 3. Consider him who endured such hostility against himself from hopeless jerks that you may not grow weary or lose heart. In your struggle against being a jerk, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Now, I know many of you who are Christians in this place, you don't feel that you are all that particularly sinful. You have overcome in your mind all the three or four don'ts that you think you should not do. But I ask you today, is it possible that you've been a jerk to someone this week? <laughs> Thank you for that rousing yes. <laughs> Amen. I have been. But isn't that the truth? Because jerk makes you think of selfish pride. Jerk makes you think of arrogance. Jerk makes you think mean. Not just the things you shouldn't do, but the ways in which you should have acted towards people that you didn't. And so when we talk about this persevering in righteousness, we're not just talking about the do-nots, we're also talking about the do-nots in terms of how we interact with other people. Now the second half of this concept of perseverance and righteousness is that God is in the business of disciplining us. Using the circumstances of our lives and the sin that we are trying to overcome as a means by which he builds our character. God is in the, in the business of disciplining his children. This is another concept that we don't like to talk about much in church anymore. Because we like to say, God is love and he loves me just the way that I am. And the truth is, God does love you just as he created you. But God is not real pleased with some of the ways that we act, but we want him to be. We want a God that disciplines us. You say, I'm not sure that I do. But you do. Think about it this way for a minute with your children. What if we did not discipline our children whatsoever? What if one of your kids came up to you and says, you know what, Dad, I am so mad at my sister, I'm going to punch her right in the nose. And you looked at her and you said, you know what, I would prefer that you don't punch her in the nose. But if you choose to, come back over here for a hug when you're done. <laughs> would any of you considering that a good parenting method? Anybody? Isn't that the way we view God? God, I'm just going to go ahead and do this. Then I'm going to come back for my hug. Because you love me just the way I am. Just like Billy Joel. You love me just the way I am. Nobody gets that. <laughs> just the way you are. Do, do. Anyhow. <laughs> what, what if that were the case? Mom, what if your son came up to you and said, you know what, Mom, I think I'm going to go upstairs and light off some fireworks in my bedroom. And you say, well, that sounds like a horrible idea. But after you do, I want you to know that I love you just the same. You wouldn't be considered a good parent. No. 
isn't this what we sometimes expect of God, though? We don't want him to speak anything into our lives that would challenge our thinking. How dare you tell me lighting fireworks in my bedroom is a bad idea? We did that at youth camp one week. It was bad. <laughs> True story. Not for today. I mean, we actually, if we really think about it, want a God that disciplines us, that challenges our thinking, that tells us to act a little bit differently than the way we're going to be acting because we are his children, and he has a much greater perspective on how we should be leading our lives. Now, I know what you're going to ask, and I know what's in some, some of the back of your minds right now. You're saying, okay, I, I, I get it that, you know, there's some things that if you do bad in life, there's natural consequences. I know God punishes that way. I mean, it's clear in the Bible, if you get involved in this, there's probably going to be that consequence. And you get involved in that sin, there's probably going to be that consequence. And so is that the discipline you're talking about, Pastor Matt? And in many cases, yes. And you say, okay, okay, well, does God actively discipline us? Does he wait to the offense? And then let's say, for instance, that Bentley comes in here this week and he cusses me out right here in the church hallway. Now, I don't know what I did to Bentley, but let's just assume that he did. And he just really lays into me, and then he storms off. And Bentley is leaving, and, and God's sitting up in his heaven, upset that Matt's been cussed out, that Bentley felt that he had the right. Is God up there thinking, stub toe, fender bender? I'm not going to say what the third one was. But anyhow, the one that popped in my head wouldn't be appropriate. But I, I, I just want to ask you, or not ask you, I know that you're asking maybe that question, does God actively punish? And I have to tell you, I, I can't speak to that fully. I can't speak to that fully. But I will tell you that I have felt enough times in my life right after I've been a jerk that I have stubbed my toe. I, I mean it. You, I am not being funny here, but it is sort of funny. Right after I've yelled at somebody, been a jerk, acted prideful, I stubbed my toe. And I, I look right at God and say, I get it. I get it. I do think there are moments in our lives where God's trying to get a hold of us. That we are experiencing the consequences of our sin in a way that God's trying to take what the enemy meant for evil and make it for our good. So let's say there is a consequence to the sin that we've engaged in. Whether it's active or it's been set from eternity, let's say that there is a consequence. In fact, the Bible says that there is. God disciplines those whom he loves. The Bible is telling us here in Hebrews that God is trying to develop our character through it. So the enemy wants us to sin so that we'll get down on ourselves, so that we'll live in condemnation, so that we'll feel like we can never get free, and so ultimately that we don't run our race for God. But God's so brilliant that he can take what the enemy means for evil and actually use it as a means by which he builds our character and that we can better service the kingdom of God. That's how brilliant God is. He can take what the enemy makes for evil and make it good. And he can take those instances in your life where you are receiving the consequences of your sin and make them for good. We want a God like that. In fact, God says that is his character. He doesn't ignore the sin of the children whom he loves. What does it say here? My child, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord or lose heart when you're punished by him. Verse 6, for the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. 
He allows us to experience the consequences of our sin. Maybe if it fits in your theology, he actually actively punishes that sin. But however it comes down, he is allowing us to experience the consequences so that we would look to him and change. So that we would continue to persevere in righteousness. It's sometimes a good question when we study the Bible to ask the question, why did the author write this to begin with? What is it that was in their mind that they felt that they needed to address in the church? And the answer in chapter 12 is right here for us. The author wrote this because there were people who were going to give up trying to be good and do good. There were people who were going to say, just as Bill said to us a few minutes ago, I'm not giving up being a Christian, I'm not giving up believing in God, but I'm done trying to do right. I'm done trying to do good. Or that pack that I want to keep, I'm just going to keep that portion of things, and I'm going to ignore that, and I'm going to let that slide. God really doesn't want to deal with that, and I'm going to leave it alone. That's why the author is writing this book. He says, listen, you have not engaged in this battle against sin in verse 4 to the point of shedding your blood. In fact, if you've experienced, this, experienced the negative consequences of your sin, see that as the tool of a Lord who loves you. Boy, that's, that's an epiphany. I'm going to go write that down. If you are experiencing the consequences of your sin, see that as the loving act of your Father in Heaven trying to get a hold of you and to change you and to make you the person that you were designed to be. Because the alternative is found here in verse 11. Make straight paths for your feet. This is the alternative if you don't want to persevere in righteousness. So that what is lame may not be put out of joint. That's what the author's afraid of for the Christian in this passage. That they're experiencing some muscle tightness in the race. That the tendons are weakening because of the weight of the sin that is on their back. And he's afraid if they don't get rid of that weight, and if they don't deal with the sin, their kneecap is going to end up in their ankle. That the muscle fatigue is going to be the least of their problems. Because things are going to be put completely out of joint. That's why God wants to get a hold of us. That's why he wants to speak to us. That's why he wants to convict us of sin. There's a difference, folks, between conviction and condemnation. Condemnation says God doesn't love you, he doesn't care about you, and that's why you're facing what you're facing. If he loved you, he'd deliver you. Condemnation. Conviction says, my child, listen to me. There's a reason you're going through this, and the reason is that you've been pursuing this path, a path that you're not supposed to be on, and you're doing it with this weight on your back, a weight that you're not supposed to be carrying. And if you will give that over to me, and if you will engage in the battle with me to eradicate that from your life, you're going to be healed. That's, that's, that's what the Bible says, verse 11. So that what is lame may be healed. That's what persevering in righteousness is all about. And the beautiful thing in the midst of this is that we can trust the heart of God in this. The heart of God is this. Jesus cared so much about the sin that you have in your life that separates you from God and brings you down that he died on a cross for it. 
That's how much he cares about your sin. That was the measure that he was willing to take to battle sin in your life. In your life. Don't make it holistically for a minute. Make it personal. He wanted to battle the sin in your life to the point of shedding his blood. And the writer of Hebrews says, none of us have reached the point where we're shedding our blood for righteousness. If we did reach the point that we were to shed our blood for righteousness, that would be okay. In fact, there's Christians that have done that. Christians who have lost their lives in the pursuit of obedience to God. God bless the martyrs. It reminds us that we have such a long way to go in our fidelity to Christ and our battle against sin and darkness. Is our heart really there? That we want to join Christ in his battle against sin. The other part of the heart of God beyond the cross is that God chose to reveal himself with the name of Father. Now, every time I say that, I also have to have just the caveat that says not everybody has a good idea of what a good and a loving father is because of the way that they grew up, and I understand that. Maybe you're in that situation right now. You, you don't know where your father is this morning or what he's doing, but I want to tell you today, think of the father that you want. The father that loves you, affirms you, disciplines you to make you into the person that you want to be, that's the father in heaven that we have. And so I know that there are folks that can't look to their father as a good role model, but I want to speak to you about what a good father looks like. And that's one who makes sure that you're equipped to face life with everything that you need. That's our father whether it be provision, whether it be teaching, whether it be discipline. Fathers are designed to equip their children with, for everything that's going to come their way. That's why the Bible gives a father of a teaching role in the house. That's why kids melt when they get affirmation from dad. That's why historically, you know, men have had this drive, and it's inherent, men, you know this, it's inherent that you need to provide for your family. God placed that there. God placed that there. That's who our father is. And he's looking at us punching our sister in the nose and lighting off fireworks in our bedroom and saying, quit it! What are you doing? Stop! Because a good father raises their voice at that moment and intervenes in that situation and says, don't you see the consequences of your action? You've got to stop. God would yell at me? I'm, not, I'm just saying, good fathers step in and they try to work with their children to make them the people that they're designed to be. That's what God's doing and that's why you and I need to persevere in righteousness. We need to honor the sacrifice of our Savior and we need to honor the work that the Lord is putting into our lives. Disciplining isn't fun. You want your kids to be perfect, don't you? How many of you want to discipline your kids? Oh, I don't know, 18 out of the 24 hours a day. I hate disciplining my kids. It's the worst. I would rather sit there and turn on a game of Madden, drink some coffee, and ignore the fact that my house is being destroyed. That's what I want to do. Disciplining isn't fun. God's not sitting up in his heaven going, <laughs> look what I'm going to do to them for that. 
That's not his heart. Discipline takes effort and intention. And God has put in a ton of effort and attention into your life. How are you going to respond to it? I'm going to do things my way. How many times have you knelt down and you're trying to help a child to do something better than the way that they're doing it? No! I don't need any help. I'm going to do it. No, I'm not trying to do it for you. I'm just trying to show you a better way to do it. It'll be a lot quicker. You'll be done. No! Don't touch it! And in the end, what are they doing? They're sitting there with that untied shoe or they're sitting there with that building that's fallen over from their blocks and they're screaming on the floor, crying, I can't do it! I don't know how many times I felt like I've been sitting on the floor screaming at God, I can't do it! And all the while he's saying, I have given you everything you need. I've given you every bit of instruction. I've given you my spirit to guide you. Would you listen to me? I even deigned to humiliate myself and show you firsthand how I want you to do it in my son. I got down on the floor in in the, the most incredible way possible by coming to this earth. Keep pursuing righteousness because there is a result. Look at verse 11. Now, discipline always seems painful rather than pleasant at the time. Amen. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. I don't know about you, but I want some peaceful fruit of righteousness in my life. Fruit, fruit is a symbol for results. Anybody want good results in their life? I do. I want good stuff to happen. Discipline, 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 perseverance, perseverance, perseverance is the path to the results. Is the path to the results. If we're constantly looking at God and saying, God, don't touch that. God, leave that alone. I'm not going to deal with that. Well, the pack is on our back. We're not going to yield the results that we want. Some of you go, you know what, yeah, I want better results, and I know exactly what you're talking about, Pastor Matt, that's very cerebral, I like that idea. But there's others of you going, you know what, Pastor Matt, I just need some peace. I I just need some peace. I want to tell you, that's the other result of persevering in righteousness, is that there is a peace that will come upon you when you know that you are in the will of the Lord. That whatever life brings, what do we sing in that song? Whatever may pass and whatever lies before me. Whatever life brings, there is a peace because God is at the center of it. And your Father is going to walk with you through it. When we allow the pack to stay on our back and we're looking at God and saying, no, I'm not dealing with that, there's no peace. There's only consternation. God wants to step into our lives in such a way that we have perfect peace, whatever situation that we face. It may upset us for the moment, it might upset us for a day, it might upset us for a week, but we're not going to stay in the upset because God's on the throne of our lives. God wants to instill peace into our lives. So what do I want you to do? It's still 20 till, stick with me. (laughs) What are you going to do about it? One, I invite you regularly to ask God 
if he sees anything in you that needs to change. It's called confession. And the other side of that's repentance. To regularly ask God, God, like the psalmist says, do you find any wicked way in me? To just get quiet in prayer. You know, it's even good to kneel. It's why we invite people into the altar because it's a great thing to say, you're the boss, I'm not, I kneel before my king. Kneel and say, God, do you find anything in me that's causing offense to others, that's causing a detriment to my life, that, that's, that's not allowing me to have peace or the results that I want? God, show me, show me, show me. He will show you. The only question is whether you will acknowledge what you've seen and what you've heard. He'll show you. He's faithful to do that. He wants you clean. He wants you pure. He wants you righteous. He'll show you what's going on in your life if you ask him to do so. Second thing, listen to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Because if you've accepted Jesus Christ as Savior, the Holy Spirit is living in you, wanting to lead, wanting to guide you. He's going to give you what I like to call, and many have called, promptings. Go do this right now. Go step into that situation. Stop that immediately. Turn that off and go deal with this. Stop. Rest. Don't keep striving. He says things like that to so many of us all the time. You need to have more balance. You need to let something go. Hey, don't, don't go over that direction. You know what? Other people may be able to do that, but not you. You're my child. He speaks those things to us. And sadly, we can get a hardened heart and not listen anymore. Because the more we say, God, I'm keeping this in the pack, the harder and harder it gets for us to hear him when he calls. Listen to the leadings of the Holy Spirit. Don't ignore his discipline. He will give you things in the moment that he wants you to obey in, and the result will be peace or righteousness. It might get hard for a moment, but the result for you would be peace and righteousness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but later on, it yields the fruit and the peace that's in righteousness. But my biggest message to you today is the simple message that we started with, and it's this. Don't quit pursuing righteousness. Don't quit. Don't quit. Don't quit. God has such a desire to see you become the person he created you to be. Don't quit trying to be good. Are you ever going to be perfect? Not till heaven. But it is so much easier to run this race for God if we want to be good. You say, you're turning us into Pharisees. No, sir. No, ma'am. But God did say, unless our righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, we can't even begin to enter the kingdom of heaven. That means the Holy Spirit leads and guides us and we obey. Don't stop trying to be good. Don't stop trying to think good. Don't stop trying to do good. Don't stop trying to say the good. Because you're not your own. You were bought with a price. You belong to your Father in heaven through the blood of Jesus the Son. Don't ignore him when he leads. Persevere in righteousness in spite of the age. 
and let's see God have incredible results in our lives. Would you please bow your heads and pray with me? I'm going to ask the elders to quickly come, and the invitation today to you is simple. I'm just going to pray this prayer in just a moment, and as I pray, I'm going to invite you to come. But if you know today that you would like to ask God to help you in pursuing the things that he's called you to pursue, I'd like you to come. I'd like you to kneel. I'd like you to say, God, you're the boss. These altars are open and as a place to just pray to God, and we've got time to do it. There's no shame in standing before God and kneeling before God and saying, God, I know specific things that you're speaking to me. I'd like to pray that your Holy Spirit would fill me and that your Holy Spirit would help me accomplish that. I know it's not tough to leave the pack behind. I know it is tough to leave the pack behind, and I know it's not always easy not to pick it up again. Some of you just need to pray for that thing that you've said, God, I'm just going to leave it there because I've never been able to overcome it. But let's just make this place a house of prayer for just a few minutes today. And let's not ignore the leading of the Lord. The elders are also available to you that if you approach them.